Chapter Four of Anglo-American Memories by George Washburn Smalley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: How Massachusetts in 1854 surrendered the fugitive slave Anthony Burns. It was in May 1854 that Anthony Burns of Virginia was arrested in Boston as a fugitive slave and brought before Judge Loring, United States Commissioner under the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. I am not going to retell the familiar story of his so-called trial and of the surrender of Burns to Colonel Suttle, also of Virginia. The actual military rank held by Suttle I do not know, but I call him Colonel on general principles, or on the principle announced by the late Max O'Rell in his book on America, with its population of sixty millions, la plupart des colonels but i will tell what i saw and what sort of impression the event made at the time upon an eye-witness who belonged to the dominant and most conservative party in the state the whig party the arrest of burns made a stir in the old commonwealth comparable to none other which had occurred down to that time from worcester where i was then reading more or less law with mr hoare i went to boston to look on at these proceedings i went from no particular feeling of sympathy with burns nor yet mainly from abhorrence of that subservience to slaveholders in which until after webster's seventh of march speech in eighteen fifty massachusetts had been steeped i went from curiosity i wanted to see how the legal side of it was managed for though the popular dislike of such proceedings which neither the shadrach nor the sims case had fully roused was then slumbering the state had so long ago as eighteen forty three passed a law forbidding any judge or other officer holding a commission from the state to take any part in the rendition of any person claimed as a fugitive slave under the old act of congress of seventeen ninety three yet here was a massachusetts judge of probate sitting as united states commissioner and doing the work which in the south itself was done by bloodhounds and by the basest of mankind i thought i should like to see how such a man looked while engaged upon that task the more so as he bore a good massachusetts name and what kind of a trial a fugitive slave was to have on massachusetts soil burns was seized on a wednesday evening may twenty fourth he appeared before judge loring at nine o'clock thursday morning handcuffed between two policemen it was obviously intended that the trial should begin and end that same morning burns had been allowed to see nobody he had no counsel when robert morris a colored lawyer tried to speak to him the policeman drove him away by chance, Mr. Richard H. Dana, Jr., and another lawyer of repute, Mr. C. M. Ellis, heard of what was going on and went to the courtroom. Dana intervened, not as counsel, for he had no standing as counsel, but as amicus curiae, and asked that the hearing be postponed and that Burns be allowed to consult friends and counsel. The black man sat there, stupefied and terrified, as Dana said, incapable of thought or action after repeated protests by dana and ellis judge loring put off the hearing till saturday but burns was still kept in secret confinement when wendell phillips asked to see him to arrange that he should have counsel the united states marshal refused 
phillips went to cambridge to see judge loring and judge loring gave him an order of admission to the cell but he said to phillips this judge commissioner said of the cause he was about to try judicially mr phillips the case is so clear that i do not think you will be justified in placing any obstacle in the way of this man's going back as he probably will a remark without precedent or successor in massachusetts jurisprudence which before and since has ever borne an honourable renown for judicial impartiality when i went to the courthouse on the saturday it had become a fortress there were united states marshals and their deputies police in great numbers and united states marines the chain had not then been hung about the building nor had chief justice shaw yet crawled beneath it i was allowed to enter the building and to go upstairs to the corridor on the first floor out of which opened the door of the courtroom where burns was being tried not for his life but for freedom which was more than life there i was stopped the police officer at the door would listen to nothing the courtroom free by law and by custom to all citizens was closed by order as i understood not of the commissioner who was holding his slave court but by the united states marshal who was responsible for the custody of burns and alarmed by the state of public opinion while i argued with the police there came up a smart young officer of united states marines he asked what it was all about i said i was a law student and wished to enter admit him said the officer of the united states marines he waited till he saw his order obeyed and the police stand aside from the door then bowed to me and went his way so it happened that it was to an officer of an armed force of the united states that i was indebted for the privilege of entering a massachusetts courtroom while a public trial was going on inside they were taking testimony mr dana and mr ellis were now acting as counsel for burns who still seemed stupefied and terrified the testimony was only interesting because it concerned the liberty of a human being judge loring sat upon the bench with at last an anxious look as if he had begun to realize the storm that was raging outside and the revolt of massachusetts against this business of slave-catching by massachusetts judges i spoke for a moment with mr dana and then with one or two of the anti-slavery leaders who sat listening to the proceedings that sealed my fate when i returned after the adjournment i was again refused admission and ordered to leave the courthouse when i told the deputy marshal i had as much right there as he had and would take no orders from him he threatened me with arrest but of this he presently thought better and finding all protest useless i went away of the uh, trial therefore i saw and heard little but of the fanway hall meeting called to protest against the surrender i saw much though not of the sequel to it in court square most of the abolitionist leaders were there but the abolitionists at that time would have been lost in the great spaces of fanway hall the three thousand men who crowded it were the solid men of boston who by this time had begun to think they did not care to see a virginian slaveholder crack his whip about their ears the puritan temper was up the spirit of otis and hancock and sam adams burned once more in the hearts of living men the cheers were incessant 
cheers for men who a few days before had been almost outcasts far outside at any rate the sacred sphere in which the men of state street and beacon street dwelt theodore parker who spoke first from a gallery was cheered and phillips was cheered as the evening grew on it was evident that violent counsels were likely to prevail already there had been all over the city talk of a rescue parker ever prone to extreme views was for it and made a speech for which he was indicted but of course never tried the indictment was but a piece of vindictive annoyance but evidently nothing had been prepared or if it had been these leaders had not been taken into the confidence of the men who meant real business toward the end someone name unknown moved that the meeting adjourn to the revere house to groan subtle parker who was not chairman put the motion and declared it carried as beyond doubt it was and with wild shouts the vast audience too closely packed to move quickly set their faces to the door and began streaming slowly out phillips who was against this plan and against any violence not efficiently organized came forward on the platform the few sentences he uttered have never i think been reported or printed but i can hear them still at the first note of that clarion voice the surging throng stopped and turned said phillips let us remember where we are and what we are going to do you have said that you will vindicate the fame of massachusetts let me tell you that you will never do it by going to the revere house to-night to attempt the impossible feat of insulting a kidnapper the zeal that won't keep till to-morrow never will free a slave in that single moment he had recovered his control of the audience the movement to the doors had stopped everyone waited for what was coming phillips was at his best he was master of himself and of those before him the words of entreaty were words of command he stood and spoke as one having authority but then came a voice from the other end of the hall it belonged to mr charles l swift the vehement young editor of a weekly paper called the commonwealth and it announced that a mob of negroes had attacked the courthouse which had been turned into a jail and wanted help to rescue burns that dissolved the spell faces were again turned to the door the shouts which phillips had silenced broke loose once more and the three thousand citizens of boston had become a mob it was all to no purpose the hall was long in emptying itself and long before those who were really in earnest could reach the courthouse the ill-advised and ill-planned attack had been made and failed colonel higginson who i believe devised it and led it had not at that time any experience in measures of war he had plenty of courage of the hot-headed kind the kind not then needed perhaps alcott who after the rush had been made with no success marched coolly up the steps leading to the door defended by armed police and troops umbrella in hand was as much a hero as anybody but it was all over i gathered in a few minutes and the only casualty was the death of a marshal's deputy james batchelder i had got away from fanwee hall as soon as i could and the distance to the courthouse is short but i arrived too late to see anything but an empty square and that open doorway with a phalanx of defenders inside burns was not rescued 
he was surrendered and no man who saw it ever forgot that shameful spectacle nor doubted that it was the rendition of anthony burns which completed the conversion of the old bay state from the pro-slavery to the anti-slavery faith webster had held the puritan conscience in chains for a generation it revolted no doubt at the seventh of march speech it was stirred by the shadrach and sims cases but the final emancipation of the state from its long thraldom to the slave power coincided with the surrender of burns to settle on that saturday men saw for themselves and for the first time what fugitive slave hunting in massachusetts really meant and what degree of degradation it brought the courthouse in chains the chief justice stooping to pass beneath them the streets and squares crowded with state militia guarding the entrance to every street on the route united states marines in hollow square with burns and the united states marshals in the centre united states troops preceding and united states artillery following it was fitting that it should be so the state and the united states were partners in the crime equal offenders against the moral law or against the higher law which till then had been the heritage of the puritan commonwealth and had sometimes been heard of even in washington they shared in the guilt and shared in the infamy both have since amply atoned for their sin but nothing not even a four years civil war for union and freedom not even the blood of heroes and martyrs will ever quite wash out from the memory of those who saw it the humiliations of that day it blistered and burnt and left a scar forever this procession took its course in broad daylight down state street on its way to long wharf where a united states revenue cutter waited to embark the kidnapped slave kidnapped by process of law and his master subtle the steps of the merchants exchange were thronged with lawrences and fays and lorings who had been foremost in trying to crush the anti-slavery agitation but when this column drew near these friends and servants of the slave owner and of the cotton trade suddenly remembered that they were men before they were merchants and men of massachusetts at that they broke into groans and cries of execration and the troops marched past them to the music of hisses and curses all this i saw and heard the re-enslavement of burns was the liberation of massachusetts the next time i saw troops in the streets of boston was in april eighteen sixty one when the sixth massachusetts regiment answering to the call of president lincoln started for washington via baltimore with results known to the world one more incident on the sunday theodore parker preached in the music hall then the largest hall in boston what he called a sermon on these events but parker's sermons were very often like those of cromwell's colonels you heard in them the clash of arms and in this more than in most he never cared deeply about measuring his words and he believed in speaking the truth about men as well as things with extreme plainness on this sunday he was in his finest old testament mood the messenger of the wrath of the almighty he flung open his bible and with the gesture of a man who draws a sword and in tones that rang like a cry of battle thundered out his text 
exodus twenty fifteen thou shalt not steal the text was itself a sermon it was the custom in this music hall church to applaud when you felt like it or even to hiss a deep murmur which presently swelled into a roar of applause greeted the text the face of the preacher was aflame so were his words as he told the story of this awful week and set in the clear light of truth the acts and words of the massachusetts judge who had brought disgrace upon massachusetts when he came to the attack on the courthouse the abortive attempt to rescue burns and the death of the marshal's deputy killed at his post he burst out edward greeley loring i charge you with the murder of james bachelder you fired the shot that made his wife a widow and his children orphans yours is the guilt the penalty a righteous god will exact for that life he will demand from you to say that he left his pulpit which was but a desk on the music-hall platform stepped a little to one side and stood full in view of the great company which had gathered to hear him on this peaceful sabbath morning a fair target for another shot had any hearer been minded to try one you think that a fanciful suggestion then you know little the fierceness of the feelings which in those days raged in boston they presently grew fiercer and reached a climax in eighteen sixty and the early winter of eighteen sixty one when men on both sides for many months went armed and were quite ready to use their arms and when phillips and garrison were in daily peril of their lives from assassination and less frequently but more deadly from mobs among all that devoted band there was no braver soul than parker's he was by profession and training a scholar a theologian a man of books and letters with a rare knowledge of languages and literature and the best collection of german ballads in america shelves full of them in his library at the top of his house but by temperament he was a fighter as befitted the grandson of that captain john parker who commanded the minutemen at lexington april nineteenth seventeen seventy five he wrote much preached often and well and for twenty years was a great force in boston and elsewhere a fiery little man with a ruddy face and a great dome of a head spectacles over his pale blue eyes the love of god and of his fellow-men in his heart and by them beloved End of chapter 4